accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through DS9, we're up to the episode called Paradise, which is the 15th episode of the second season. Aired on February 13th, 1994. It was a teleplay that goes to Jeff King and Richard Manning and Hans Beemler, which is a name we haven't heard in a long time. Story goes to Jim Trombetta and James Crocker. So we get a lot of writer influences here. Directed by Corey Allen. In this episode, Cisco and O'Brien are trapped on a world with no technology, and the human colonists living there are determined to keep it that way. We're joined by Amy again, making a return to the podcast. Hey, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you you leaned into the mic, I think, because I've been uh, I've been yelling at you about your your mic. Yeah, evidently I have volume problems, you, so I'm trying to overcompensate. <laughs> your mic game. Uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about paradise, and uh, I think that's pretty much it. We'll be talking about cults, which we have a lot of uh, knowledge of, right? Direct, direct knowledge, <laughs> direct knowledge of cults. No, so anyway, we're going to uh, take a break. Play an audio clip, and then me and Amy are going to come back, and we're going to break down Paradise. Talk like that isn't constructive. I'm talking about saving the life of one of your followers. You don't understand this yet. No one follows me. They follow their own hearts. My heart tells me to try to get back to my ship. I'm sure it does. But if we'd had that attitude for the last ten years, we wouldn't have been doing what was necessary to survive here. To find the plants, herbs, molds that cure disease. We've conquered 17 illnesses with the most powerful resource man has, his ingenuity. An interesting philosophy. And while we're debating it, a woman is dying. We're doing everything we can for her. No, we're not. I won't have you disrupting everything this community has worked for, Ben. I don't intend to stay here any longer than necessary. And that's another thing. Let's not bring up the Starfleet rescue party again. Until they come, if they come... You'll have to do things our way. All right. So after my failed introduction joke, uh, which you did the, the best improv you could have, yes, ending me into oblivion. Um, what did you think of Paradise? I liked it. I, I It's probably like one of my, I don't, you know, of all the episodes that I've seen, I enjoyed it the most, I think. Yeah. It's a, um, I think Paradise is, Paradise is a strong script that it's kind of an episode that does it does two things it shows you like really strong writing and then it shows you really it shows you i'll I'll say it's a strong trek writing and then there's really awful trek writing and at the same time so i like generally everything that happens with cisco and o'brien outside of the fact that i don't understand why these two are the ones that are out doing reconnaissance missions uh to find planets that they can colonize out somewhere um the stuff with them is really good. The like the morality tale there about the cult and everything, and you know Cisco sort of standing up for um, O'Brien and his belief system in a larger way. And then it's got really terrible writing, which is pretty much everything that Dax and Kira get up to in this episode, which is sort of like no stakes, bad sci-fi, um, goofy stories. Like when the, I think the worst scene of the whole episode is when they lasso the uh, the runabout for whatever reason. It's like a a totally 
made up problem that they have to pretend is a problem and they think that they're on knocking on death's door but they never do because it's just a silly sci-fi thing that they solve and then it's paired off against the really good storytelling of the rest of the episode so I don't think we need to spend too much time on the Kira and Dax stuff, unless you want to say what you thought of that. Material. No, yeah, I had like a, I just had a hard time like following what was happening in like in that whole scene, and then she never says lasso. She, w- yeah, like I was like, is she gonna like lasso that ship? And then when they like hold their breath after, I'm like, did it fail? Like I didn't even know what the outcome was. Like I was, and maybe that's just my own. We have a uh, the running Problem, but... well the running joke kind of on the show is that some of the worst Star Trek dramatic scenes are when someone is like counting down, saying like in ten seconds such and such a thing is going to blow up and the camera shaking and everyone's going like oh it's just it's really bad drama it's it's really bad writing um, and it's the same it's like they don't use the word lasso when they do it so it's like what does she mean she's going to rope them like yeah. she's going to she's going to rope and I thought I thought it was supposed to be some like I guess it was some kind of like nod to what was happening you know on the colony where o'brien and cisco are where they're kind of like merging these like you know with their high-end technology kind of like bringing in this like old school kind of like primitive oh that's a good point like that was the first thought that came to my mind that it was just this like western like like guy on a horse is gonna lasso it in and then the technology is being used to, oh interesting to, like, merge the two things i guess it could be that but that, but then i mean I still didn't really know what was going on, but well, I was trying to connect it to the larger theme. I mean, yeah, I, I guess we're spending a lot of time on that scene just because of how goofy it was. Well, they say they can't beam over because they're at warp, yeah, which yeah. they've I think they've done that previously in the series. So I don't know why it's that big of a problem to do it now. But they, I, I do like your uh, – that's a very um, English lit explanation, I think, of the of – the- I know I'm once an English teacher, once an English teacher, always I can always try to find some kind of connection. Well, that's what won't exist. Well, we had uh, Trexpertise, Kyle from Trexpertise, come on to discuss the end of Discovery, and Trexpertise is a very um, successful YouTube channel that does like critical analysis of Star Trek and sci-fi and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, and um, his reviews of Discovery I find were more that way. Like he, so maybe you should write for. Expertise about how to. Yeah, we do need. Yeah, we. I do need to add more income to our family, <laughs> so maybe I'll start I'll, your own. I'll Patreon. throw in a resume. Yeah. Support Amy's Patreon <laughs> over at Patreon.com/slash Huge B. Huge B slash Join My Cult. Page, yeah, page, I think those, those are both uh, violations of Patreon's <laughs> terms of service. But we'll talk about uh, Paradise here, which is. I think we're going to be. Um, you know, after it wrapped up, you kind of looked over and you're like, I think that was good. Do you think that was good? I think that the the patron feedback is actually a little, a little bit more um, reserved or mild on this one. But I, I've always kind of liked this episode. And I think that it's really strong for a good portion of it. And then the ending kind of lets it down a little bit. Um, well, sorry, if I could just jump in. Although it doesn't make much sense that Cisco and o- Cisco would be with O'Brien doing this reconnaissance, you kind of need Cisco in this episode because he, I think he kind of makes this episode. That if it wasn't him coming face to face with, is it Alexis? Yeah, Alexis. Um, I don't think it have it would have the gravitas or the effectiveness. Like if it was Kira or somebody, I don't know. It, it, Cisco, his acting is so good that you know it's kind of like these two, I. Ideal, like they are both driven by their own set of principles, 
both are unwilling to let them go. Um, so I think like those two coming head to head and him like getting back into the box at the end, you know, uh, like he's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sacrifice who I am out of fear for you, which is how you've run this colony. That's not how I run my ship. And that's not how you're a leader. Yeah. Um, it was actually, it was actually conceived. The episode was written with the point of showing Cisco as heroic because they hadn't had a Cisco episode in a, in a while. And, um, I'll jump ahead here because, um, there was a, well, do I want to do this? I, we have one patron thought that I thought was really kind of an interesting way that I had never actually looked at it. Um, it's Ken Sito. Do you want to read Ken Sito's sure. comment? We'll just skip that. But I think it's a good springboard into what we can talk about. Paradise. I really enjoyed this one the first time I saw it. Taking away the technology left our characters at the mercy of any psychopath with an agenda, which made for interesting drama. While I can see now that the plot's been a bit cobbled together to achieve that effect, it's still a really interesting episode. I was reading some fan opinions saying that it was racially disturbing having Cisco being put through humiliating situations without the heroic payoff that Kirk or Picard would have expected. All I can say is, as a white Australian teenager in the 90s, Cisco getting back in the torture box rather than compromise his principles made him a hero in my eyes, when nothing else up to that point had really done that. So what's interesting to me about that is that I had never really considered the point, and I think it's true, that Cisco is remarkably, I don't want to call him unheroic through the first first one and a half seasons that we've watched but he is reserved in a way that the other captains are not like either mostly by the writing of it like he's not asked to have the sort of like kirk uh monologue at the end of the episode where kirk like rails against the wrongs that have been gone or picard has his uh a more low-key version of that where he sort of explains the situation cisco operates a little bit more in the background and he's more reserved of a character and he's quieter even though he's equally sort of principled as those other two in his own kind of way but he's the episode is interesting because of how much they push the cisco heroic aspect of it and i think it works really well for him because his the way that he shows his heroism is a reserved quieter way than Picard and Kirk do it. So I think it it's like a really good, it's a really good way to write that character and a really good way to show and not tell, which is the strength of the writing of the Cisco and Miles O'Brien stuff on this episode. And in contrast to how weak the cure is where there's no show and it's all tell, um, the stuff on the planet with the, the cultists is all show and very little tell almost I think you could criticize the episode. It doesn't actually tell you enough about what's going on with them. Yeah, I would agree. And I think what what sets I mean, what sets Cisco apart is like he's he's kind of this everyman captain where I think one of the more powerful things about him is the immense loss that he experienced prior to becoming the commander of Deep Space Nine. Yep. He lost his wife and you know, and I think that disenfranchised with starfleet yeah and i don't really know enough about kirk and i I mean i know a little bit more about picard but i don't you know aside from picard's experience with the borg which changed him you know i think that like cisco's prior experience lends itself to a type of quiet kind of principled nature um where he doesn't he doesn't feel the need to show his status um, he doesn't find it important. He doesn't find it useful. And I, I don't think it's how he operates. I think he depends on the expertise of those around him to try to, you know, 
um, do all the things that he admittedly can't do himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, which it's- I which I think makes him such an effective character. And what I thought made his like a lot of his scenes in this episode pretty moving, where he, you know, he's he's such a good actor that a lot is told just in like his facial expressions mm-hmm. and his um and you you always kind of believe that he's not going to give in even though he doesn't have this like outward like don't mess with me yeah. kind of thing you always you always know that he like knows what's going on and then he's like get out of here you you hoe <laughs> don't massage me with that lotion i know what you're up to <laughs> he said to make love did you, did, send did her you to come make, in here to make, make love, love to me, me. <laughs> which yeah. is uh i think that should be a running joke about i know come into the kitchen or whatever um <laughs> <laughs> so and you've got your hand full of lotion i think that like cisco <laughs> that a lot cisco it's very dry in the winter cisco <laughs> is um he Brooks is I've always described Avery Brooks uh, the actor who plays him as a little bit he's he's kind of limited but he's very good at what he has very high highs and very low lows um his lows are typically when he's asked to be excited or something like that like yeah. he, he kind of does it a little bit when he's reading the book and explaining the book to yeah, O'Brien that was, that was a weird scene I was like that yeah he, he I didn't acts, like him there he acts oddly when he gets like sort of excited like yeah. that but he plays um sort of stewing and fuming and smoldering very well like that's kind of avery brooks's like strong point the series eventually moves him that way but he does that effectively in the whole box sequence and i I think like i think it's a really smart script like the they should they humanize cisco by the opening sequence is unique because it's cisco and o'brien the the two characters who have kids outside of Worf, because Worf doesn't really have a kid. Uh, the two parents actually having it's not a very good writing conversation, but they're talking about kids, their kids growing up. And it's its a conversation that Kirk and Picard could never have had. Like, Picard is too up uh, stuffy, and Kirk is not a father. And Picard isn't either, but there's sort of a difference there where um, Cisco is much more, as you are saying, like the everyman that can bond with the crew in a way that the other captains really couldn't kirk could bond with the uh bones and spock but it was never really like an underlying situation like o'brien and the ladies yeah they're bonded to him (laughs) um but the the writing's really smart outside of them the direction is good too i don't know if you noticed because it was the first time you've seen it but when they stumble into the village for the first time the camera settles on the box and the box is in the foreground and then those guys are in the background it kind of reminds me of um it's not really anything like it, but it reminds me of that short story, The Lottery, for some reason. Yes. Um, the Shirley uh, yeah, Jackson Shirley Jackson one. thing where they, they, uh, the short story is basically like a, a person's going through their day getting ready for a lottery in the town. And everyone gets there and they draw pieces of paper and one person has a black dot on their paper. Uh, and then all the other people, the other characters in the town pick up stones and then stone them to death. It's like the one outlet of the year or whatever that the people of the town Yeah, it's to a do. totally random choice, too. It's not not in this case where the punishment is deserved, it's wrong going. Know. And it's not even really deserved to put someone in a hot box but for there's stealing a, there's a candle. A, there's a but... reason that they're being punished as opposed yeah. to... Yeah, I don't but, know why it reminds think, me of that. Well, I think it reminds... For me, I think it, it's an interesting analogy because I think it shows how people just stand around... And don't do anything. That there's this this like the cult mindless um, acquiescence to what's going on, yeah. which is something that's a little bit difficult to believe about the colony too, where you know everyone just kind of yields to Alexis. You'd think there'd be some kind of contingency, especially of 
Starfleet officers that, that, that would just be like, okay, like we'll just be a hippie commune now. Like that works for me. You'd, you'd like it. It just feels like there wouldn't be someone like O'Brien who would like really just want to figure out what's going on. That like it didn't take him too long to figure out that it wasn't that That's stuff in true. the river. I don't. I don't know if they're Starfleet officers. Um, I, I know one of I was, I mean, I wasn't thinking that, uh, as I was watching it, I kind of thought that they were, but I don't think they ever say that they are. The one's an engineer, which is just uh, kind of makes sense that he would be on a ship. But I, I don't know if, I doubt that they're Starfleet because if they were Starfleet, they, I'd have a hard time buying that they folded so quickly to But they were Alexis. some kind of scientist. I mean, Alexis must have been a scientist. Well, I think they were always colonists trying to go somewhere and she crashed them onto this planet because i think at the start that guy joseph says that they were en route to some other planet for something and then they, they crashed and they were stuck on this planet um, but i think that the one of the main the iris stephen bear who's one of the head producers at this point and the director were unhappy with the way that the episode actually turned out which is surprising because i think it's a very good episode but i do and their issue with it was that they don't think that they balanced the two points of view well enough to and i I didn't have a problem with the balance up until the very end. And I don't even know if I really have a problem with the way that it ends. More just the fact that it seems to come out of nowhere, really, where the colonists are like, no, we're going to stay. Like, we'll we'll see you later. Because up to that point, they had seemed like they had wanted to go if given the opportunity. There was some, yeah, there seemed to be some interest or curiosity about Home, leaving. Yeah. Um, since it it's not that long that they've been there. It's not, it's not as if they've, like, spent a generation. Right, there. There's a generation there, of people yeah. that have, like, only known that. It's, like, 10 years. So they all still remember it pretty well. Yeah, I agree about that. I, I didn't I didn't love – I didn't love kind of, the like, the mindless followers of Alexis. Like, I, you know, I kind of wanted a, a little bit more – you know, I guess it points to how easy it was for her to just, like – kind of become a dictator. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe she handpicked the people who came with her. Who knows? Like, I guess that is implied because she had planned this Yeah, she, she's, she's been – yeah, and she probably handpicked people maybe who would be – well, you'd think that at that point maybe they'd be more amenable to it. I don't know why she had to trick people into going there. That's kind of a cobbled together narrative reason. Like, why don't you – I'm sure she could find out – she – Herself says that she's a, there's a lot of scientists who like endorse what I believe. Yeah. It's a, you you think she could find twenty people? Yeah, that's a good point. Like, who that. wants to come with me and like start a colony? Then yeah. you know, yeah, that's a good point. So I mean, that's kind of a weak, cobbly writing um, aspect to it. That it's only done to give a little bit of drama towards the end. But I don't know if that makes sense. Like, if she, if they had, if the the end reveal had been that they were all willing to be there. Like, from the start, they'd chosen to do this. It's like, okay, that's a little bit more of, like... Then it's almost like a horror thing. Like, Cisco has to, like, look around and be like, oh, Jesus, like, everyone here is a zombie kind of on some level. Right. And I, I don't think that they... Well, they, I, I think they do a good job of being, like, vague in their cultiness of, like, you know, the clothing is a good thing. I like the writing about, like, just, you know, just wear these clothes. Like, just wear these... And Cisco never wears the, the clothes that they want just to wear the clothes. And then it ties in nicely at the... Uh, the kid shoots O'Brien's uniform with yeah. the arrow at the end, and, he's, and it's, it's kind of a nice sign that the uniform actually came back useful. Yeah, but it's a. Um, I think that they, they draw the cult vague enough to be okay for a Star Trek episode, but then the ending where she goes for punishment because she allowed some people to die, and the rest of them decide to stay there doesn't make a lot of sense. I would have either had her stay there yes. or. 
all of them leave, I think. I don't understand what splitting them up accomplished. I agree, because I it, it, there doesn't seem to be some kind of, like, quote-unquote, like, government or second person in command there. Like, it is a joke. Yeah, they're very rudderless once uh, she's yeah, gone. Yeah, once she's gone. I had the same thought. I mean, you have the... Yeah, it was almost just like, well, are they just going to carry on? Like, they all don't seem that impassioned about what they're doing. They all seem just... Um, they always just turn to her and it's always just her talking. Like you, I bet you could count on like one hand, the amount of people in that colony actually, who actually talk. Yeah, it's like her, yeah. her son, and Joe, the, and then the, the sex one, the sexy yeah, Asian Yeah, and lady. that's it. It's like, no, there's like no personality. Does the son even talk? I don't think the son says a single word in this script. Not that it's a big deal, but I, he, when he says at the very start, he's like, run to your mother and tell them the people here. And he walks off quietly and. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't talk. He, he might all. never say anything. That's um, a really good point. The, like the, I, I think the cult representation is good, and I appreciated the show what it was having Cisco say. So I don't know if I'd have wanted there to be pushback or if you weakened Alexis a little bit, or not weakened her, but if you made her more um, appealing to the audience because she's she comes across as kind of a dictator in this. Like you don't get the sense that the rest of the colony is staying there because they actually believe in this, which I think is where the problem from the ending comes out. Right. So if you wrote her more of like a gentle religious figure who has this kind of harsh punishment angle, but like you, you could see why people would stay with her as opposed to her sort of being like, Oh no, maybe don't explore the woods. Like let's go find some apples or something. Like you don't really get the positives to the cult that I think the episode is saying that are there because the people want to stay with her. They just give vague senses of, um, it's a very modern thing about like, you know, all the modern teeth gnashing about like lack of community now because everyone's online and listening to podcasts about Star Trek and not going out and going to, going to church, whatever people do. Um, so I, I, like the, that is kind of timely or timeless, maybe. Like, I, yeah. I always feel that's kind of, it's an interesting, and especially in a Star Trek-y sci-fi way, where these people are just sort of smothered by technology to the point where the characters are all a, you know, in, in the best way possible, because I love the show, but like the characters are a very bland representation of humanism. And so, like, it's a very sort of not very interesting to have this cult pop up is fascinating. Yeah, and I thought I... And it, I mean, it was interesting too that like she needed the technology in order to even make yeah to get there in to the make first place. this like natural quote unquote like natural society thrive that it, there's nothing really natural about it. Would she have had a problem with O'Brien's <laughs> compass thing at the end? Is that technology? Yeah, but I mean, he used to use the tools at his disposal. Like, I you guess you could make an argument for. Should we have an argument about like whether like the pawn argument about whether or not this is like we'll pick items out and say is this technology or is this not technology? I mean, I think it's primitive technology, like a sundial or something like that. Clothing would be is clothing technology. I mean, I think anything they've used to make the clothing is considered technology. But the clothes aren't. And clothes are the product. Hmm. Is is your are your clothes technology? I don't know. I don't know if clothes would be considered technology. I don't think so. I mean, but I might be wrong about this. But I would consider the tools that they are using to, like, weave together. I'm just going to look it up because wool or whatever they're using for their clothes is the technology. The application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes, especially in industry. So I guess the oh, and 
he's, he conveniently skipped over part B of the definition, which is well, machinery and equipment it? developed from the application of scientific knowledge. Right. But is equi- could clothing be equipment? Because weaving is technology. But does that make the... Does that make your equipment, which is your shirt, also technology? No, I think the equipment is part of the technology, like the freaking pedal or like the the thing that would like pull the strings together. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> the, the, this is what the podcast. <laughs> we had does. just so everyone is aware. While we were making dinner tonight, Wes returned back to that our this pawn argument because he was upset that people agreed with <laughs> me about the definition of a pawn, and we talked about it for like another fifteen minutes. Uh, <laughs> I was I'm, I'm correct about. I somehow. okay yeah that's that's fine. <laughs> You and Alexis are sewn of the same cloth. You can write about it in your journal no, tonight. No, my, my whole point about, uh, I think I had a point. My, I mean, the whole point is that, like, if you're breaking down the logic of our argument or the logic of any kind of Luddite people is how far does technology, like, a, you know, a club yeah. is technology. Like, if you're yep. ch- chimps using a stick is considered to be, tech, like, tool use. I think probably in Alexis's universe, if it's if it's taken naturally from like the resources around them but that's what she wouldn't have she wouldn't have a problem with it but that's what every you know i'm I'm not saying you're defending her belief but like every bit of making technology is taken from something around you because it has to be you just assemble things that you have at your disposal into something else you know what i mean yeah so where do you draw the line i guess we're just we're just kind of criticizing the like where do yeah where do luddites say like this is okay or the quakers you know like how do Quakers think that a car engine is no good, but they can drive around on a horse and buggy. You know, the wheel is okay, but not an, not a uh, yeah, not an engine, not a gas-powered engine. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, a lot of a lot of gray. And but, I think I mean I think like the main thing is what makes her world so flawed and her leadership so flawed is that she essentially is the one that decides this. Yeah, and it's and you know and it's entirely unnatural just to silence the ideas. Yeah, it's very others. it's very top down, mm-hmm. which I, I guess it just comes back to the conflict of like it's not particularly democratic. So why would all the people be people who would potentially have a problem with that? That seems to be the weakness of that sort of angle there. But I think she's pretty effective as a character, even though she's a little she, she it's a 45 minute episode. She has to be a little bit on the nose and they have to kind of re- they, I think they do a very good job of revealing the insidiousness of the situation over time like it starts off with her sort of being like welcoming them welcoming them and then you get a little hints of it and then you see the kid in the box and then you get more and more about the clothing and the sex workers and well all i think stuff. um i think the the girl dying was the probably, dying, probably yeah. the more like upsetting thing is that she was completely okay just letting people die she had the she has the tools to keep everybody alive, but she chooses not to just so she can, like, maintain her ideals in practice. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Cisco pairs off nicely against it. I think O'Brien is a good character to have there, too, because O'Brien is so mechanically oriented. He's he's the right person to be he's like. He's mechanically just... oriented and he can, like, fix build he... build a mall <laughs> with, like, a toothpick right. and, like, a you know, a stick. It's like he's got the. He's uh, very MacGyver. He's got the street smarts and not necessarily the, you know. He's not the, the diplomat. Statu- yeah, the stature. I mean, he's not a Starfleet graduate and he's just like, I don't care. I was the worst in my class, too, and I saved. <laughs> 
like all these people from like Cardassian prison camps. <laughs> in nine minutes and 53 seconds. Yeah. We need a Star Trek movie about that nine minutes and 53 seconds we of O'Brien's life. Uh, but yeah, he's he's very good to have. Cisco's great to have. It doesn't make a lot of sense why they're out there together with each other, but I think that they are the but right nice. pairing. Yeah, they're kid. definitely the right pairing. It works okay. And yeah. Whatever. I mean, like as a viewer, like a casual viewer of the show, like I don't really think about that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, Cisco's doing this. Like, that's fine with me. Yeah. Yeah. And you would say you had a line about it takes you five minutes to sort of settle into a Star Trek mindset. So you kind of miss whatever they're talking about. Well, the the hardest part of every Star Trek episode for me, and this is embarrassing to admit, is like the, like the tea, like the very first. Cold open. Yeah, the cold open. Um, where they use like all this technical language and well, they they, they lay every. There's no captain's log in this one, so it's just the two of them. Well, maybe there is, but they they just lay out what the setup for the episode is going to be. Yeah, and I think you have to. It's usually uh, where I feel the most nervous. Where I'm like, oh my god, well, they're going to podcast about this. I don't even I think, know where they are. I think the key is to <laughs> not listen uh, literally to it. You just kind of you get you just have to yeah, go so like these two, are, go. these two are out somewhere and yeah. something's going to happen. You don't yeah. listen to like the 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 rationale for why they're out there because it never really matters why they're doing what they're doing until the, the sort of uh, inciting incidents as this in screenwriting yeah. kicks in. Um, That's good advice. Thank you. Sure, I'm here to help you become a better TV watcher. Uh, we got a sexy picture of Cassandra right there, who looks vaguely like Keiko O'Brien a little bit. She does look like Keiko. They should have tricked Miles into having something. But anyway, I think that um, I don't know. Do we have anything else? I think we did enough about the cultist attitude. I really, well, I guess why do you like the episode so much? You you would responded positively to it. I I feel it's strong, but I'll let you go first. And then I'll go. Yeah, I liked I liked the Cisco O'Brien dynamic. I thought that worked well. I like the two of them. Um, yeah, and I just, I just, I don't know. It was, I thought it was just like kind of interesting. Like even though there are flaws in in the colony and kind of like how the colony came about, like we've discussed before, it was still like pretty engaging to watch. And you know, I, I kind of like cared what happened, and I was intrigued. I think it's a, um, I think it's a mature script. That is not super on the nose, and you can also sort of think about it uh, outside of it. Like they don't wrap things up too nicely for you. You no, can, you you can of, think about it. Yeah, you're kind of left feeling unsettled, very by unsettled it. by those two children looking at the box. I mean, I thought that was like a pretty, like ooh. Yeah, and those know. kids have definitely grown up on that planet. With well, them, yeah, so. and I guess that that's true. That kind of goes back to what we were saying before. Like theirs is the generation that's only going to know that world. Through no choice of their own. Yeah. Um, and they, I mean, I guess you could argue children have, don't, like ha- don't, don't, yeah, don't have much of a choice about the world they're growing into or brought up into anyway. Yep. Um, but there seems something particularly nefarious about that one because they're not really given the whole story. They're, they're like born into a lie. Yeah. They're sort of the, uh, the Waco cult people like they're just kind of stuck in that building and just, yeah. the fbi is firebombing them or whatever um yeah. or that i actually think, well, I think i think i'm actually putting too much blame on the fbi for what happened there but um the i i like the i think it's just a mature script and i think that it's like a a nuanced episode that we haven't really seen on ds9 to this point and it's got really good performances cisco is really excellent in it um 
I do like it's I get a strong it rarely happens, but I get like a good like strong emotional reaction to Cisco's thing of going back into the box the I second time is like that. Like Star Trek episodes don't always do that for me. So it's I, I always tend to think of those episodes more highly when they do sort of generate that kind of like you're not cringing at the emotionality of the episode. You're actually like, oh, it's actually pretty good that the, what they're doing here. Totally. Because like a part of me was like when you leave, when you leave Cisco in that scene, I'm just like, is he gonna like just drink the water and put on the uniform with the hope that he's just gonna like insidiously bring about the end, like the decline of this woman. But then when he comes out in uniform, you're just like, yeah. As O'Brien is sweeping the dirt in the cornfield. I know. He's just like nervously hoeing. <laughs> like, what do I do? <laughs> but he figured it all out. <laughs> Technology evades him, I suppose. Yeah, um, yeah. I think it's. I think it's really strong. I. I really like this episode. So we'll. Uh, I think we've talked about it enough. We will come back after this break. We'll listen to an audio clip, and we'll come back with patron thoughts, our own thoughts, and then we'll wrap it up. This is painful for me too. I want so much to give you water, to let you lie down, to sleep. But I can't. Not without your help. I know it's too difficult to speak right now. Just rest. Change doesn't come easy to you, Ben. I realize it. Believe me, I'm not expecting some sudden miraculous conversion. Change will come by itself if you're open to it. But you do have to show us that you're open to it. A good start would be to get rid of the uniform. All right, so patron thoughts. If you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get to leave thoughts about upcoming episodes, and we read them on the podcast and respond to them. It's a, uh, I enjoy this. I think it's a good way to get the audience uh, interacting with us and to get some feedback and make this thing a little bit more communal because we are all part of a community, right? Yeah, right. it's all about building a community. It's all about the community. And it's funny, when you went to religious... Uh, postdoctoral school or whatever you did uh you used to call it living in community so i, I think Actually, of this episode we called it communitas there's <laughs> a bunch of latin nerds communitas i know that was a world a weird life yeah do you want to talk about your experience well sure so i joined a like cult. a no yeah i did join a cult um, I've evolved but it, it's like a teaching program kind of it's it's like in the world of teach for america except it's through other like certain catholic schools have their own teach for america program so i went through one through providence college um and it was called providence alliance for catholic teachers and, and they didn't allow any yeah, technology PACT was the acronym you sat in a, um, you had a eight by but, six room that you you bunked in and you had a sink yeah they well they room they they house us in um abandoned convents or rectories not a cult, though. Um, yeah, definitely not a cult. Um, and we got a very, very small living stipend. We got a master's degree for free from Providence College in education. And then we taught for two years in a struggling Catholic school. And, and, I, and I taught in this teeny tiny, one of the last surviving parish schools in Worcester. It was like a Polish parish. It was like Our Lady of Chesnahova. So what do you do for work now? Oh, I'm a nurse. I'm an ICU nurse. (laughs) That master's degree is totally wasted. Thank God it was free. Um, So anyway, back to this. We are going to read some patron thoughts. Do you want to read them? Sure. So Holly McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Oh, I'm so sorry. McLaughlin. 
Paradise. I can't even watch this one. The colony's justification of torture is a bit much for me. Yeah. What do you think of the choice of torture? I think it's a good torture I, system for I, an episode I, like this. I kind of liked it. I liked that it was the box from the ship. Um, it's not super violent, but it's you can tell why it would be... It's dehumanizing. Yeah, it's dehumanizing. You have to um, kind of crawl into it. And also, really. there's no absolutely no nuance to punishment that somebody who... I guess maybe the length of time they're in there. I have no idea what her, like, you know, if she has any kind of, like, system in place for, like, if you have this level of crime, you go in for this many days or et cetera. Well, it and seems excessive because the guy was in there for a day for stealing the yeah, candle. Yeah, for stealing a candle, yeah. So, I, and, and I think that just kind of lends itself to her kind of un, unyielding um, black and white way of thinking. And like um, like Ken Cito had brought up in the comment that we'd read before, um, you know, people, I, I think just because Cisco is black, they, a lot of times you have to approach the storylines in a, like the character being black brings up sort of like the, the tort, like every time she says working in the fields here, you know, your 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 kind of picks up is like really like is, is like they they don't touch on that in the episode, but it's like there's this mm-hmm. sort of subtle undercurrent that you're reminded of like the history of slavery and everything, particularly in this episode. But the torture thing probably also had to walk that line. You can't do anything too reminiscent of you can't do anything that would draw the audience away from the episode so it can't be too reminiscent of like actual slavery punishments and maybe they did put people in boxes i have no idea but it's not something i associate with it so like the the racial undertones of what does he say that racially disturbing having cisco be put through it i don't i don't agree i'm not saying Cancito thinks that but i don't agree with that criticism just because the cisco character is doing anything any of the other characters would be doing it's not racial what they're doing to him I agree. I my mind didn't didn't really go there when I was watching it. Um, but not- Avery Brooks being black causes that kind of sure. thinking. I suppose would be the way that I, I guess to put about it. I, I don't find the episode to be upsetting on any level because it happens to Cisco. N- no, I don't either. And I or I extra think, upsetting. I guess. I think it actually it places more power in his hands because he's able to kind of withstand and see through her. It's his and, choice too, kind of. And, yeah, and and you know, he he's he's unwilling to be someone's servant. All right, you want to read the next one? Sure. Um, Stephen Kalb, uh, Star Trek loves to hate Luddites. The actor playing the colony leader does a great job of emulating a cult leader. Her part and those of the rest of the colony seem pretty well written and realistic. Yep, agreed. Mm-hmm. Go on. Oh, thanks. So I go to the next one. The next one, please. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Eric McGowan. Maybe it's a little messy, especially at the end, but I enjoyed this episode a lot thanks to some great performances and a different and interesting story for DS9 to tackle. Cisco has to put up with a lot. Yes, he does. Yeah. Uh, and I think the messiness is just, I would consider the messiness to be the sort of loose strands of story that maybe don't perfectly fit together, but I, yeah. I don't find it It doesn't affect like the viewing experience. It's like yeah. only upon like review, you're just like, oh yeah, yeah those parts were weird. Yeah. Matthew Ross, and now we fall back to this after a few good episodes, an entire episode of Stockholm Syndrome Victims, and I found it that no, I found, and I found it out that no one was more questioning of their leader or aware of her obvious control of all facets of their society. I think he meant to say I, 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 I meant to say I thought it odd. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Matthew. Um, 
Yeah, I I know. I, I found that odd, too. Yep. Yep. And it might have just been, I mean, perhaps, like, because we know so little about kind of how Alexis's ideas came about, perhaps she just hand chose people who would just blindly follow her. Yep. If it was, if she had created technology to isolate them in the first place, that may have been why. Because, yeah, that bothered me, too. Kyle Barrett. Overall, the episode is a fairly well-executed but forgettable. Take, takes on a generic and unoriginal idea. However, I do really like the opening scene between Cisco and O'Brien. I don't know why it's those two that are off-charting star systems, but I enjoy their friendly yet still hier- hierarchical relationship. It's a credit to show that it, in its second season during mediocre episodes, it's still nailing the character interactions and relationships. Now we just need the storylines to match. Yeah, I'd agree with the general consensus. So I think I think this episode is better, uh, or I enjoy it more than Kyle seemed to at that point. But I, I do like the the banter between the crew members. They do have the characterization more in line. Um, they don't stress the O'Brien. There's no scene of like O'Brien going like "Let me into the box" and said him like I, I <laughs> appreciate stuff like that a little bit of restraint. The Dax and Kira are okay if they're not having a goofy cornball thing to do, uh, but they interact with each other okay, although Dax is still fairly weak as a character and Yeah, an she's actress. a very stiff actress. Stiff actress, yeah. They, they cast her I just for kind her. of like, my shoulders are like up by my ears whenever she is talking, because I don't know. It's funny, it, I, yeah, I didn't used to think natural. it was that bad, but now after I've been watching so many of the episodes in a row, I definitely, I definitely do preface every Dax scene with sort of like a, oh oh boy like let's let's hope this let's hope she gets some contact on the ball here and just knocks mm-hmm. one you know. at least she's easy on the eyes yeah that's why she was obviously hired mm-hmm. and stuff. Yep. although uh yeah you'd think that yeah as clay said you'd think that the uh the character is written to be recast very easily because of the Dax symbiote but yeah they they wanted know, to keep her they kept her around for a little while yeah uh let's see here I think we're done. Mm-hmm. So on our scale of I'm one done. to five, <laughs> our scale of one to five, <laughs> our scale of one to five, what do you give this episode? I th- I mean, as a non-Star Trek watcher, I enjoyed it. So I, I mean, in light of the fact that I haven't seen the strongest Deep Space Nine episodes, I would give this one like a week four. Mm-hmm. I give it a four as well. We're getting a lot of consensus of the, not, not between us, just us, but between uh, everybody on this. We're all kind of falling into into step with each other about what we give things. Everyone gave Whispers a four. I mean, Everyone's, like what, Clay and... Yeah, and Modi and uh, Neil who did Whispers with us and stuff like that. But that's yeah. because you tell us what to think. <laughs> this is actually a scripted show. Yeah. It's like Lore, that podcast where the guy reads the scripted show for 10 minutes. This is all scripted. We're just great actors. That's right. We're like the anti-Dax. We are. I know she should have. She should have learned from us, but she missed that day. Anyway, I'm going to give it a four. Amy will give it a week four. I think it's a. I, I'm going only, to give it a only, straight four. I think. Yeah. I would so I would show this episode to someone if they said show me a good Deep Space Nine episode from season two. I would I would say this one could be watched. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I guess I'm giving it a week four because I don't have a good context sure. of the show as a whole. And it's still just the second season. Anyway, that's about it. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, patrons, for giving your thoughts. If you'd like to give thoughts about upcoming episodes, you can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. You give a couple dollars a month, you get extra stuff like podcasts, and you get the ability to talk about upcoming episodes. You get to 
I don't know what else there. There's vlogs, there's Q and A's, there's all the podcasts, blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. You can go to Facebook, you can go to Twitter, follow us on those things. Um, and then the new thing is Discord. So if you use Discord, which is like a Skype-like chat thing, um, you can join our server. There'll be a link in the video description of the podcast. There's a little bit of talking going on there. It's a little bit more of a uh, casual back and forth, more like a little chat room. So it's fun. Get to talk about things. But only if you use Discord, you can check that out. I don't know if you want to download it your own to check it out, too. Amy, you're going to just download some Discord? Chat no, it up? I'm still figuring out how to clean out my email inbox. <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. Email zero. And that's about it. Um, so thank you very much, guys. And as always, the patrons who are the captain tier always get a shout out at the end of the episode. So captain tier patrons are Vincent Adultman, Stephen Cobb, Eric Johnson, Nathan Elliott, uh, Ewan Tibbetts, Decker Sebastiani, Neil Brennan, Carrier Mobility, Doug Valcamp, Michael Pond, Bradley Killens, Rune Vendler, Jay Stanley, Mike Burnett, Matthew Ross, Ben Douglas, Kyle Barrett, Joint Mango, and Tark Latif. Guys, thank you very much for supporting the show. Thank you, Amy, for coming on, for being one of the uh, few female characters in this podcast. Do you know what um our, on YouTube, just on YouTube, do you know what the ratio, not the ratio, but the percentage of listeners that are... Male, male versus female. female. This is just YouTube, so I don't know what the MP3s are. 80%, 20%, 80% male, 20% female. It's probably 97% male, 3%, 3% female. Good job. Yeah. So way to reach like a big like volume of people. <laughs> <laughs> All I can ever think of is the um we watched that Rush documentary and the the drummer from the Foo Fighters is just like chicks don't really listen to Rush. <laughs> And then they just show the concert footage, and it's just like forty-five-year-old white, fat white guys like air drumming along with the song, and that's very yeah, true. It's because very you true. hate Rush, but I—I I I, don't hate Rush. I just, yeah, Wes loves listening to Rush, especially during like. I don't love listening to Rush. You put on Rush when we are preparing dinner, making love. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, it's okay. Spirit but of the radio. I don't. I don't. Yeah, Spirit of the Radio. I don't. I don't like listening to it when like Alistair's screaming for dinner and. It's like dig a 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 dig I just, yeah, it's not my choice to, to put it on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Same with why, why you can be the female voice. Why would why would my male to female ratio, you know, barring all sort of uh, maybe men use your YouTube more than women or something like that. Why, why would the ratio be so skewed? Well, I think more men watch Star Trek. I know. That's what I'm saying. So why, why do you think that is? I mean, I don't know why. The same reason why more women watch Sex in the City than men. There's because just like no without like becoming like overgeneralizing. I think the themes are just more. Well, it's a, that's a female centric show, so it makes sense that. But I, I, well, I feel yeah. like women watch other male centric shows, but they don't watch Star Trek. Like women would watch, women would watch uh, Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, and The Wire, yeah, which is largely male. That's true. Maybe it's a. Like the time of when it came out mm-hmm. has to do with that. Maybe if if like Star Trek, like Next Generation or Deep Space Nine came out today, I wonder if more women would watch it. 
versus in the 90s. I wonder. I wonder what the makeup of people watching Discovery is. On Twitter, yeah. it's a lot of women watching Yeah, so Discovery. maybe maybe it has to do with the timing of it and just like the nature of TV then versus now. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you'll be back because at some TV's point. Because TV's changed a lot. Think about what it means to be a woman and come back on the next episode and explain why. Yeah, I'll wrap it up. (laughs) (laughs) Write some books. If if anyone's wondering what it's like to be a woman, I'll tell you next week. Write write some books like that (laughs) cult leader now that you've had the chance to think about it. And I will read them cross-legged on the bed. Um, I think that's it. I think we're done. Amy, thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks for bearing with me, guys. Yeah. uh, The listeners seem to enjoy your your non-fan take on Star Trek. Which maybe is a polite way of saying, what the fuck is she talking about? Yeah, they're just being nice. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the internet. People are always nice on the internet. So thank thank you very much, guys. Uh, We'll see you next time with... What is it? What is the next episode? Next episode. I think it's Shadow Play. Let me see. It is Shadow Play. All right. So Clay will be back for that one because it's slightly Dominion related. But otherwise, we will see you next time.